Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you once again for our time together, for your love for us that you pour through our relationships, pour through what we see in this world around us, just the beauty of nature mm-hmm. and in your word. And you you could have revealed yourself in any way and you you just are so amazing in that you have revealed yourself in your word because we can go back over and over and over again and just be bathed in it and just be completely encompassed by it. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, help us draw near to you right now mm-hmm. in our time together. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Hallelujah. Amen. Well, welcome online. And i hoping if I can get a thumbs up from people online watching that we're good on audio. Thumbs, thumbs up. Yay. So far, so good. All right. Well, hopefully that'll remain the same. So, um, as you can see from this, from the title I've given to my talk today, better than a pink bunny suit. Um, how many of you just by show of hands have seen that movie Christmas story? Anyone? Okay, good. All right. Is anyone not seen a Christmas story? seen it in a long time. No. Oh, gosh. Wow. Okay, so we'll have uh, like a remedial Bible study gathering over Christmas. That is a must requirement. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to change my whole avocado-worthy talk. Christmas story-worthy. Wow. Anyway, watch Christmas story. Those of you online also, uh, please do that because it's you really won't get all my funny jokes now because <laughs> you have no frame of reference for this. So. Um, but God's, God's grace and God's gift is absolutely better than a pink bunny suit, isn't it? Amen. Amen. And those of you who don't know it any better, just say amen anyway, because we're in church and why not? So we left, uh, the end of our previous lesson four uh, with a beautiful reminder that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And Again, oh, I want to pause and remind those of you online, it gets really blanked out because of the lighting in here. So I know you probably can't see the screen that well, but don't forget that they, it's available online. Go to jennifergrichman.com and then go to the Dwelling Richly tab and just scroll down and you'll see messages and you should be able to get the notes or just listen along. Don't worry about the slides. So I apologize that you can't see that as well. It's very bright on the screen. Again, Penny's being saved toward a good camera that we can... <laughs> we can do this with. All right. So hope does not disappoint. And so we move from this point of hopefulness that we will not have a hope that disappoints, that we can be assured of that hope. And then Paul moves right into this next verse from hope to being helpless. For while we were still helpless at the right time, And I want to move in on a few of the words here in this part of the verse. While we were still helpless. What we've learned as we've moved into this point so far is that that idea of being helpless is that we were under the oppression of the law. Right? That there was no hope for us. And we were helpless to do anything about our state at all on our own. And hopefully by this point in the study, you're getting that message clear. And one of the reasons why we come to Bible study, I'm sure you'll agree, is so that you can be personally edified, that you get it and you've got those aha moments and you feel yourself drawing closer to God. But I hope that you're also seeing that one of the reasons why we go to Bible study is so that you can engage better with family and friends and people at work and just in general in our world 
and help them see it. Because when you get it clear in your mind and then you're engaging with somebody who's going through a difficult time, or maybe you're realizing their theology isn't tight to move back to our, our wording from last lesson, that you'll be equipped. And so that twofold approach is what I really try to do in our Bible study lessons that you're going through. So I hope that you get to a point where you're reading and going, I already understood that part. I already knew that part. You'll go, okay, well then how can I better understand it now so that I can help teach my husband, my friend, uh, my mom or my dad or other people in my life, my own children, right? Who are going through difficult times. So we've learned at this point that we're helpless, right? But then Paul says at the right time, and we ask when we see a word like right, which should make us think, well, was there a wrong time? What was right about this time? Why not earlier, right? Why not now? In our day and age right now, when we've got mass media available for everybody, you know, this idea of, of Christ coming at the right time, Paul repeats in Galatians when he says, but when the appropriate time, or in another translation, you might be familiar, it says that in the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And you're going, oh my gosh, I totally know what that means now, right? You're getting it. You're, oh yeah, that's right. So that we may be adopted as sons, daughters, children, right? All of us with full rights. Okay. So, but we have this idea of the fullness of time. So why now? Well, the Bible is clear that Jesus came to be born and came to die at the exact right time. Let me give you some examples of why this is true in terms of with the historical context of what was going on. We always go back to that to say like, what was it like back then? Well, if that was the right time, then I think it's exciting to know. Well, then what was it about that time in history? So let me give you some examples about that. Um, for starters, people were united at that time in their language, in their law, and in their government. That was pretty amazing. Alexander the Great, you might know a little bit about your history, had conquered this whole area and beyond. Um, Egypt, Athens, all the way to the border of India, okay, and um, as a result of the conquering, Alexander the Great brought a unified language. Their law became the same across this massive empire, right? And then the government control was metered out and in each area, all united, okay, during that time. So that was helpful for why Christ came at that time, because before that, in that area, there was no unified language. Everyone was speaking all these different languages. There was no unified government and there was no uh, unified law either. Then it also during this uh, area, this time, if you remember in our Acts study, Paul was able to actually take advantage of this unified government and the unified law because he was both a Jew and a Roman citizen. And as a result, he was able to actually appeal to Roman law so that he could get heard by Caesar. Remember that? He used his rights as a citizen during that time. And that essentially, effectively moved the gospel through the working of the government at that time. I hope that that's a lesson that we can be thinking about right now. Because we're under the reign or the covering, in a sense, of a government that we might feel perplexed by, annoyed by, um, thrilled with at any given moment. But God 
has governments in place, and we're going to get to that even more in Romans 13. But let's go back to Paul's example and remember that Paul was able to go within the government of his time, and it forwarded and moved forward the gospel, and Christ Himself came at the right time, and the government was part of that right time. Also, peace had been established. Maybe you remember in high school history the Pax Romana. Do you remember studying that? This is the Roman peace. It was a declaration of peace in that area. There were no wars being waged during this time of the, the New Testament period, when the Gospels were being written, when the epistles were being written, when the gospel was being moved out, and so there was no fear of invading armies. There was no fear of if I move and share the gospel, there maybe some other country's going to come in and take. Everything was at peace during this time. That's a really great time. And again, God's sovereignty bringing it together at this time. There was little. Periodic persecutions and a little, you know, rumbles here and there, but no big air, big wars going on during this time. For、uh, third, paganism had left this big need. So,、um, Greek and Roman gods, their stories, the Iliad,、um, uh, the Aeneid, they were all filled with tales of gods who were capricious, had their own ideas how things should be done, and were good, did not care at all about engaging with humans. And so pagans, paganism, the Greek and Roman mythologies and things like that, had gods with no covenants with humans.、Um, they didn't make gods didn't sacrifice themselves to make a transformation of life. There was no forgiveness. There was no heaven available to humans. There was no resurrection. So in comparison to the message of Christ, paganism left everybody feeling like, well, there's no hope for us. Right. So at the right time. Right, Christ died for us because paganism had left a massive gaping hole in everyone's hearts. Right, it wasn't fulfilling. And do we not live in a time such as that right now, where the world's paganism, humanism, secularism is also showing to be quite empty? Even though we keep on trying, let's try socialism again. It's not going to work. Like people are needing that kind of hope. And then fourth, the world, the Jewish world. Was longing for their Messiah. They had been through that this 400 inter- years of intertestamental time, where it was it was quiet. They weren't hearing from God. They knew the prophecies. They knew it was、um, available to them <laughs> that the Messiah would come, and they had this longing, right? And they were waiting, and maybe maybe they were ready more than they thought, even though they had kind of a, a, a misunderstanding of what it would look like when their Messiah came. They were still longing for that. So, what do you want when you're helpless? What do you want when you're in that kind of need? While we were still helpless at the right time, and what does it say? Christ died. Now, if you're going to ask me what I want for being helpless, it's not going to end in somebody else dying. That's not how I'm going to fill in the blank on that. Like, I'm so helpless. I hope somebody dies for me. That's. I want my problem to be fixed. I want somebody to step in and, and have give me this big victory right now, okay? But again, we've got we see the sovereignty of God because at the right time, while、well, we were still helpless, is the right time. And when the global scenario helped the picture move the gospel forward, when there was a, a, a massive longing from Jew and Gentile for truth and for understanding, at that right time. Christ didn't come in and swoop in in the way we would have expected. Christ did what? He died, and he didn't die for all the good people. 
He didn't die for all the people who were righteous in their own way. He didn't die for everybody who was in government and, and the movie stars of the day, if you want to think of it that way. All the people who were getting it right and were wealthy. He died for the low, the ungodly, the ones who have that ability to even acknowledge that. And then Paul reminds us in, in a parenthetical statement, he says, For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Isn't that true? No one's going to be up and no one's doing that, right? Though for a good person, maybe someone might possibly dare to die, like sacrifice themselves in war or in some extreme circumstance, right? But it has to be extreme circumstance for someone to die, even for a good person, which really highlights the part of that verse that says Christ died for the ungodly, all right? And then we get to verse 8, all right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died for us? Is that what we would have hoped for? We might would have wanted someone to come in and live, someone to fight, someone to conquer, someone to deliver, and to do all that right now. But if we can grasp, listen, if we can grasp the sublime beauty in the sovereignty of God, that in the fullness of time, he came, and at the right time, he died, listen, we will never be disappointed again. Because Christ didn't come to meet your expectations. He came to exceed them, right? So hopefully that gives us that reset that we need. When we're at that moment of, what the hell? What else could go wrong? We say, all right, at the right time you did this, how much more then can you meet me where I'm at right now? Right? And that should give us a tremendous amount of hope. So, Again, just for taking of notes and, and jotting this down, I want us to really make sure we grasp this, that Christ did not, did not come to meet our expectations because we wouldn't have written it out this way. He came to exceed them, and that's the gospel, and that's amazing grace, right? So he says, Paul says, much more than, because we've been now declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. And the idea of a wrathful God is a stumbling block to many. Maybe even you at some point scratch your head and wonder, how would you explain that to somebody who gives you pushback? Oh, Christianity, oh, you know, God is a wrathful God, smiting people, you know, and all that. So I want us to kind of think about this, and I'm going to give you some points to, to consider, but I want us to think first about this idea that we talked about back at the beginning of, of or the end of last lesson, the beginning of this lesson, about how the Holy Spirit was poured and God was pouring and we have that hope and the grace and everything that, that even drew the picture of it being poured into us. That idea of being poured out is expressed also by the prophet in Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 8 where he says, God says, I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and my anger against you. And do you know who the you is being referred to here? Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's the one that gets the wrath poured out on him. He's the one that gets the anger poured out against, against him. So again, we have this pushback on the wrath of God. But I want to submit to you that we are without hope at all if God's not a God of wrath. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully try to help you understand that. To, 
as you think through it. First of all, the anger, the wrath of God is not like our anger. And it's not like the anger that you've experienced in your life from a, a, a bad parenting moment with your mom or dad or maybe a, a boss or, or somebody who lost their temper on the road, a road rage. And we tend to think about God and God's wrath from human perspective. It's, it's petty or it's unpredictable or it's out of control and it's wrath. You know, we just make it like that in our mind because that's how we have experienced wrath. Either we've been on the giving end of that kind of wrath to somebody or we've been on the unfair, hurtful, scary receiving end of someone's wrath. And so we think of wrath along those lines and we need to shift that thinking. God's wrath did not come out of nowhere. God's wrath did not come out of nowhere. So God's wrath... It's not human wrath, and God's wrath did not come out of nowhere. God's wrath is provoked. God is love, that's his nature, but he doesn't love us because he sees wisdom and beauty and perfection or goodness in us. He loves us. Why? He loves us because he just loves us, right? So God's wrath is, is different. It's a, it's a righteous response to evil. It's provoked. The wrath of God, unlike the love of God, it isn't like the wrath of ancient gods who would run around and just smite people for fun and get kicks out of that. God's anger is his settled resolve against evil. And what is the one thing that over and over again we see people leaving their faith for? They cannot reconcile how a good God would allow such evil. And so they, they see horrors like the Holocaust on a large scale or they experience horrible experiences in their own personal life, relatively speaking on a small scale, though massive inside of our own hearts, and they think God could not allow that. And so I think people's misunderstanding of the wrath of God also ends up leading them to what's going on a lot today is deconstructing their faith. And if we can help people see that the wrath of God is our only hope, and that's a hard thing to hear and say, it's like, what did I thought the love of God was? The wrath of God is because... If it wasn't for the wrath of God, then none of this is going to get taken care of in the end. And everyone is just free to do whatever they want. There's no accounting for that. So God's wrath is revealed now, but God's wrath is also stored up. How does he reveal it now? Well, it says in Romans chapter 1, he gave them up in their lust, in their hearts to impurity. We read that. He gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them over to a depraved or debased mind. And I love the way this Bible teacher puts them. I'm going to go ahead and just quote him here. Paul, this is Don McLeod, and he says, Paul is not teaching that one day God will punish Roman civilization, in his example, for its decadence. On the contrary, listen, the vice and decadence in themselves is God's punishment. That Their punishment was their greed and their envy and their strife and their deceit and their violence and faithlessness. All right, so when we see that in our own culture today, when we look around and see that, that the moral fabric of our culture is being torn apart, then as Christian believers, we should cry to God for mercy because that is the end result of the wrath of God. So God's wrath is being revealed now, but God's wrath is also being stored up. The whole Bible story leads to a day when God's going to deal finally with evil, Finally and forever. And this will be this day of wrath, this day of judgment. God will do this in his perfect justice, not in how I would like it. Because if I had my way, I would probably be smiting people on the 405 every time I got out, right? So how God's wrath is removed. This, the Bible speaks about God's wrath being poured out on the cross, like I read in Ezekiel. 
And this takes us to the heart of what happened there, that the divine wrath towards sin was poured out on Jesus. And we talked about that in a previous lesson, this idea of propitiation from Romans chapter 3, verse 25, which means that the payment of our sins was poured out on Jesus at the cross at Calvary. So it's not that God loves you because Christ died for you. It's the other way around. Listen, Christ died for you because God loved you. So the outpouring of God's wrath was the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Because where was that wrath felt? On Christ. That's why the wrath of God is our only hope. Without the wrath of God, we don't have the cross. God didn't pour out his wrath on us. He poured it out on Christ. And we get the benefit of that. Do you see that? All right. So the hope for us is that the cross stands between us and the wrath of God. The wrath of God, again, is our only hope. So when you feel that pushback in your own heart or you engage with people who are struggling with that, I hope you'll be able to articulate to some degree what we've been going over in this portion. So verse 10, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more since we've been reconciled will we be saved? If that has happened, how much more will this happen, right? Not only this, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom... We now have received this reconciliation. That's what happened on the cross. That's what created the reconciliation. And the reconciliation brings us to the safest place on earth in this life and in the next. So never question your security then. This is the verse that will help you if you ever question the security of your salvation. Right? Because you have now received reconciliation. You were made tight. You were brought together. You have been reconciled. It is done. And as we learned in Ephesians, it's basically the wording signed, sealed, and delivered, right? Because of the Holy Spirit seals that for the day. So if you're in Adam, you're under the reign of death. But if you're in Christ, you're going to reign in life because Christ's gift is greater than Adam's pink bunny suit, Adam's sin, Right? When you really grasp this passage, you realize that the story of the human race can be wrapped up in what happened because of Adam and what God did in, in, in response to that. So what happened? And this was on day four of, of your lesson, verse 12. So then just as sin entered, oh, not only does rejoice in revelation, okay. <laughs> I forgot I put that whole quote up there for you. I'll give that to you later. All right. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sin. And we put our hands on our hips and go, hey, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. I, mean, I have to be guilty for this guy, you know, all these many years ago. All right. How is that fair? Well, how would you have liked it? Would you like all of us to have to take the test ourselves to see if we could pass? <laughs> if God had given every single individual a sin test, who would have passed? Literally no one. All right. So by condemning the human race through Adam, as in one man, all sinned, God can redeem the entire human race through one person, Jesus Christ. One Sin act of Adam, all of us condemned. 
one redemptive act, Jesus Christ, all of us redeemed. Do you get that now? Because it's hard when you read it and you're like, wait, hey, I'd like to get back to the garden. I think I could pull it off. I think I could do that. <laughs> I know I can't. I can't resist temptation on any moment, daily basis. So for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but there was no accounting for sin when there is no law. And I won't spend too much time, but I just want to clarify this. This word accounting is um, elogatai, elogatai. And I highlighted the middle three letters in there, elog. We, we see that word a lot. So we keep logs of things. So that is the word, word or recording words, right? Um, logos, we get that from this. It's all rooted there together. And so it's it's worded differently, and depending on the translation you're using, NIV uh, says it in the most literal sense because the word elogatite literally means to charge to one's account. So I get my card out and I charge it, and I don't get to charge my sin to your account, your yours, yours. It gets charged to my account, right? So verse fourteen, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who's a type of the coming one transgressed okay so a couple things on this number one the word sin there is hamartia it's the big sense of sin transgressed is a is a crossing over a crossing over transgression over the line of where you shouldn't have been you were specifically told not not to do this okay in other words even though sin wasn't charged to their account they still died because death reigned death is the consequence of sin God had not declared yet the law to Moses, to Moses at this point in history. If you look through your timeline, God, you know, Moses hadn't been receiving the Ten Commandments and all that. Because, but, because we're all racially united, genetically united to Adam. You know, there's a whole study on that. They've actually shown that genetically, that there is, it can be traced back. And we all are of one race. There is a genetic parent. You know, God's word is true and science keeps on proving it. All right. Because we're all racially united to Adam. Adam sinned. Adam died. So that trait is inherited in a sense. Okay? Then we get this great contrast. The results are the same in a sense. We all get credited, but the cause is different. Okay? So from Adam, um, we get the worst gift ever. You know, thanks a lot, Adam. (laughs) Please watch the movie. (laughs) Worst gift ever. But if we were in the same... Place, we'd be handing out bunny suits left and right to everybody else that came after us as well. And you see that in your own children. You know, if you've had children, no. you look and you see, Never. except for Pastor Rachel's, uh, you know, Rachel's, Rachel's over here, sister wives is in my mind. So I was like, Pastor Rachel's sisters, but no, wait, what? I'm up on the wrong track to begin with. Repent. No, we see it in our own children when they sass back. They might, Sisters and I look at each other and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how mom used to talk. You know, and they'll say it back to me. We know this is true. And so just because he's a really super duper distant relative, it's like, well, I could brush him off. But the truth is the sins of the father. We, we are held to them. Okay, so here we go. So that's a big deal sin that impacted everybody. And that's a big, huge drag, right? All that all worked out. But verse 15, this is great. This is great news. This is exactly what we hope and what we want. But... The gracious gift is not like the transgression. 
For if the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? I don't have to press the allegory any further, but you know, like bunnies multiply, pink bunny suit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And the gift is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one transgression led to what? Condemnation. Please highlight that in your Bible. We're going to really move into this idea of condemnation in lesson uh, six coming up. You guys are going to love this study. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. Okay, if you don't already see that that's a fascinating few words tied together there, the gracious gift from the many failures led to us being on time out forever, us being condemned forever, us feeling shame forever, us feeling like, woe is me, I blew it, I can never keep up with God's righteous standards forever. No. The gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. justification. Again, God is not here to meet your expectations because this is what you would expect. Condemnation. He's not here to meet your expectations. He's here to exceed them. He's here to blow your mind. That is what God is here to do. And so when we get in that rut and our thinking and our day and the, and the day and the calendar and the jobs and the to-dos keep bearing down on us and you feel like you can't catch a break and I'm going to get one more hit after, after another and everything's this and Alexander and his horrible, no good, terrible, very bad, awful day. Read that book if you haven't read that one. That's a good one too. That's how we think is that's in our flesh. And we're going to get into that a lot more in uh, Romans uh, chapter 7 coming up. But... God's exceeding gift leads to our justification. And Paul repeats much more five times in this passage to really emphasize the greatness of the gift. Verse 17, four. If by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace of the, and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? How much more? When you feel down, when you feel defeated, go to the cross. I'm serious. There was a season in my mother's life who was a godly Christian woman raised in Protestant family. And for a season in her life, she wore a crucifix. Now that's a Catholic thing to wear. That's what a Catholic would, is raised to wear. As Protestants, we don't glory in the cross. We don't think, we don't hang the cross with Christ on it. But for a season in her life, she said, you know, I need to... Be mindful of the of the death of Christ. And it was just for a season because she wasn't overly focused on that because Christ rose from the dead and that's our victory. We'll get to that a little bit more later. But maybe that's what you need to do. Now that you have right thinking about what the cross gave us, that God took all that wrath and put it on Jesus instead of me, maybe that would help you to go to the cross and think along those lines that we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so as challenging as these verses are to grasp, and they are very challenging, every commentary I read says something like, well, this is the hardest passage in history to exegete. <laughs> every commentary reads something along those lines at any one point in Romans, so it's hysterical. So I broke it down, and uh, hopefully it's not too irreverent for you. I broke it down to four little points for us in this next, next passage. All right, number one, here we go. Sin spreads. So we do not sin in isolation. Sin spreads. And I use the example of, of the, the Rona, the coronavirus, you know, the Rona. We do not sin in isolation. Our sin 
may not, will not affect the entire human race, like Adams did, thank God. Um, but the principle remains. Sin infects beyond the sinner, right? Your sin will impact your children. It'll impact your husband. It'll impact your relationship. Sin is serious. We should be serious then in our attitudes about sin. Number two, sin sucks. It just sucks. There we go. That's the, that's the mildly irreverent part. Sin sucks. Okay, so since sin is a problem for all, it's a problem for all, it sucks for all, it's terrible for all, everyone's impacted by it, then the gospel is a solution for all. Right? It's not metered out one person. It's for all. We all have sinned. We all need the gospel. Number three, good works don't. Good works don't. They don't. They don't work. <laughs> good works do nothing to make our sin problem better because our sin is in Adam. It's done. <laughs> all right? So the way to be made right must be in Christ. And so, number four, God's work does. Good works don't. God's work on the cross does work because verse 18 this is on day six consequently just as condemnation oh sad underlying condemnation in your bible again we're going to get to it in the next lesson coming up consequently just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression thanks a lot adam not that i wouldn't have done it myself So too, through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, many were constituted sinners. And this word constituted is interesting. Have you ever reconstituted something? (laughs) I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You reconstituted something up. That's the idea of it. Do you ever buy those little teeny tiny sponge pellets? They're like even little capsules, like little pills. And you, you put the little capsule into some water and it reconstitutes it fills up with water and expands. That's a great metaphor. If you want to explain this passage to your kids, because who wouldn't want to bring the kids into, you know, Romans chapter six. Hey kids, family (laughs) devotional. (laughs) Bring out a little sponge, a little vitamin pill sponge. Go look for those are, you know, little stores and whatnot. All right. So (laughs) one man, many were constituted, right? Sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, many will be constituted righteous. And you can share that beautiful truth with your kids as well. So now the law came in so that the transgression may increase. What? That doesn't seem right either. The transgression increases at this point. Anyone scratch your head on that one? Yeah. Until I read it in NLT. NLT <laughs> does help, yeah. Maybe you've had the experience of doing something that didn't quite seem right. You just did something. You're like, oh, is that okay to do? You weren't aware of any laws or rules, you know, against it. But then you ended up learning later on, oh, yeah, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Like walk on this path or go into that, that part of the store. I did that the other day. I went behind the counter. I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was behind the counter. And I walked back there and I'm just like, this doesn't look like the regular part of the store, but oh well, I'll just start going. And Lenny says, oh, that's not, you know, where you're supposed to be. That's for, you know, employees only or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I walked over. Then I was like, I just kind of still want to go back over there. I want to see what they got back there. They had some really neat stuff. Maybe she'll put it out on the shelf later, but I wanted it right now. So when you learn the law specifically forbids doing something, it doesn't make you go like, well, I'll just never do that again. Problem solved. I, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'll just never lust after Matthew McConaughey again. 
<laughs> Never. No. What happens? Don't you're already lusting after Matthew McConaughey or fill in the blank, whoever you like doing. You know, I don't lust after Matthew McConaughey. I just do drink his gin. Anyway. Um, <laughs> No, but then you realize that's wrong. And then, see, that's the thing about what Jesus did in the New Testament because it said don't commit adultery. And the Pharisees were like, well, I have not, I don't have sister wives, you know. They don't, they're not committing adultery. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's about your heart and don't commit lust. Like, don't think badly. Don't think about other men or women in your, in your heart and lust after them. And then you're going, well, that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, but that's the idea. So the law comes in. So transgression increase. All right. So this is a tough one also. It literally does mean so that transgression. There's no other way to translate that. It actually does mean. It's not like, oh, that was a tough way to translate it. Maybe it should have said, so the law came in and as a result, transgression ended up increasing. It actually means God deliberately gave the law so that transgression would increase. Well, that was mean, dirty trick, making our transgression. Why did he do it? So his grace could increase all the more. That's what's exciting. Where sin increased, grace multiplied all the more. Like rabbits again. All right. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life. See, death has an end. That's the end. It it, it reigns till death. Right? But righteousness to eternal life. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Death finalizes sin, done. Now grace, righteousness forever, all the more. Right? It's like when you're at uh, at Red Robin and they bring you the ever-falling, all the never-ending fries and never-ending orange, or orange rings, onion rings. It's just grace, but way more. Better, 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 better. God's grace is. All right. So, from justification, this opening part, we move to sanctification. And verse 1 in chapter 6 is like a test on whether we've correctly understood Paul's message up to this point. If you've been tracking with him, he knows you'll be thinking, well, if God's response to increase sin is more grace, I'll just help God out a little bit. <laughs> get going on my sinning. <laughs> Amen already to the preacher. Let's get outside so we can get some sinning going on, right? No, no. It's like a little test. Are we to remain in sin that grace may increase? And again, like I said last time, yes. <laughs> but no. I might be thinking, oh, this is a trick question because I kind of like my sin. Right? And this is where we get to the point of, oh, yeah, I do justify my sin. And somehow deep in our heart, we're like, well, God's going to forgive me. Once saved, always saved. I got this. So I got a negative attitude. Oh, God's got this. I'll forget Oh, so I drank a little bit too much. Oh, God's got this. It'll be okay. Oh, I lose my temper with my husband, my kids, my whatever. You know, oh, God, you forgive, forgive. Of course he will forgive, forgive. But if we've got that, oh, God's got this attitude about the little sin areas in our life. I mean, it's not like we're out there robbing banks, right? You're not that kind of a sinner, right? But we have that justification tendency in our heart. I think Paul is moving in on that because we tend to go like, I'm going to figure out some wiggle room for my sin because I kind of like my sin. It's working for me. It's good. I like it. So Paul's like, no. Are we to remain in sin so grace may increase? And what does he say? Absolutely not. I think it might be loosely translated. It's a mild cuss word there, but I'm not going to say it. H-E double toothpicks. No. I'll say it like that. How's that? No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And this is like one of those, oh yeah, the comments. Dead people don't 
Hell no tails. And they don't live in their sin either. They're dead. That's how we need to consider ourselves. Or do we not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right? And this isn't some you know magical miracle of water swooping over you that it happens like that. This is the reminder of what that looks like. Therefore, if we've been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see what Paul's constantly doing? If this is true, what? So much more will this be true. So much more will this be true, all right? So we've not yet died physically as Christ did, but we are joined in him in the spiritual benefits of his death. Remember what death was for Christ, though. Death was receiving the entire wrath of God for all of creation on him. We were united, listen, we were united with Christ in that death, but we did not feel the wrath of God. Do you just love those visuals? I do of like Wonder Woman when she's got that big, she got her shield out and the bullets are going zing, 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 zing on the shield. And she's got the little bracelets out. Bam, 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 bam. Good with my sound effects. I know. That's why I kind of picture that with, with Christ and this covering, you know, that he has over us. Bam, 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 bam. That's Christ. But it's not just bam, bam. It's like a gush of God's wrath. You know, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Because he's just so swallowed up in wrath. He has no sense of God's presence in that moment. And when it's done, it is finished. That's because he didn't have to feel God's wrath anymore. But it's also because every prophecy that ever predicted that moment in time was fulfilled in that, in that moment on the cross. It's finished. And it's also finished because... Sacrifices don't need to be given over and over and over and over again because he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world once and done forever. So we don't have to continue to wake up every morning and put Christ on the cross and crucify him all over again and be so sorry for our sins and beating ourselves up for everything. Maybe you do, but maybe those of you who have that overactive sense of guilt need to release that to the Father and say, no, you died for me once. And then others of us who have that more cavalier aspect about what well, Great crisis done. Need to hold on to the cross of Christ a little bit more, because we tend to go on either of these extremes, don't we? And we need to find that that harmony on the cross of what Christ has done for us. All right. So we know that our old man, you know, my old man. <laughs> I was cracking myself that version of that <laughs> translation. We know that our old man, <laughs> our flesh. That's a that's a euphemism. That's a that's a way of saying our flesh was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for someone who has died has been freed from sin isn't that good great news you know the idea of this also can be pictured in in a marriage relationship or in a job or anything that takes a title because i might have the title of married wife, but I may not be acting very wifely at the moment. Does that make me not a wife when I'm being a jerk to my husband? No, I'm still a wife. I'm not just, I'm just not acting in kind of what you would expect, how I expect a wife to be. 
Um, if I'm an employee of Disneyland and I show up with salty clothes and a beard, you know, they have their guidelines on how you're supposed to, of course, no one's working at Disneyland right now, so maybe you're missing the point. But the point is, we have a title over us, and just because we're not acting like that at that moment doesn't mean we're not that person anymore. It means we're not living up to that title. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also what? Live with him. Again, he's making this Reminder, like if this happened, then how much more is this to be true? We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead and how glorious that was, he's never going to die again, thank God. Death no longer has mastery over him. Again, he's pointing it to us so we grasp this. For the death he died, he died to sin, listen, once for all. He died for sin for all, that's us. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, same thing. Consider yourselves dead to sin, even though Jesus was the one who did that part for you, but you get to do the other part. Do you see that? Jesus did that hard part and he lives to God and you let him do the hard part, the death, but you also are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't have sin be dominion over you so that you obey its desires and do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness. So again, this is that idea of my body being used as an instrument. And that word here I mentioned in your your Bible study is always translated in your Bibles. um, And it always has this idea of warfare. Now, if you did that part of the study, that word instruments always relates to something being used in war. So it's smart that Paul uses this here because it, it is a battle. It is a war. But see, the battle's already been won. We just act like it hasn't. Just like me not being a good wife. You know, me not acting very pastoral if my title is pastor. Although I am, I am a pastor. I am a wife. I am a friend. I might just be acting like that. So the call to us is live up to the name that you've been given. Live up to the title that you have been given. All right. So, um, but present yourselves, therefore do not listen, rain, da, 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 and, but present yourselves to God. Now, this is the remedy for that. I'm not living up to that. I'm not that person. I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling with sin. All right, present myself to God. And if it helps, go into your mind and visualize yourself literally presenting yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead, And your members to God here. Here's my hands. Use them. Here's my feet. Use them. Here's my mouth. Use it. Here's my mind. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's every single part of my body. Use it all, God. It's an instrument. Instead of an instrument that lets Satan have more victory in my life, I want it for you. Do you use this so that you have victory in my life? Using it for righteousness. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law. Amen. But you are under grace. You see, sin is a tyrant and it will reign over us if we let it do so. But in Christ, we have the power. And that's not just self-help thinking. You have the power to do this or that. Any of that stuff is nonsense if it comes from self-help type teaching. But when it comes out of the word of God, it's true. You have the power to say no to sin and to say yes to God. Sin will have no mastery over you. Now that is something that's hard to grapple with because some days you feel like sin did have mastery over you. And Paul's going to address that issue, that conflict you feel in your heart in the next lesson. In the next lesson, sin will have no mastery over you. Let's pray.
And let's give this to the Father today. Father God, thank you for the victory that we have because of who you are. Help us to continue to grasp what that actually means in our life today and help us to be men and women and boys and girls and and, and a group here in Bible studies and every other aspect of our lives being people who do not let sin have mastery over us but completely give it complete glory and control and dominion and reign to you. Let us be used as instruments for your righteousness. We ask these things now in Jesus' name because Jesus' name means something and we can say this in Jesus' name and everyone said Hallelujah. Amen. 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 All right. I do have time for Q&A if you, if you have questions. And if you're online, maybe Monica, can you help moderate the online chat people if, if they have questions? And um, as you're thinking about them, a couple things. As you grab your lesson today, and the same, same with you online, your, your create and share is really different. You're a little bit more unique this time, and it's going to require a little bit of prep on your end. So as always, I always ask you on day one to preview day 10, and there's a little reminder, a little thing there to do that. Um, for your Create and Share, you're going to need some index cards. So yes, you'll need some index cards. Fancy. So I've put some on the back table there. You can, you can make them half size. It doesn't have to be like three by five or four by six or anything like that. Um, and you're also going to uh, need a camera. So anyway, read it. You'll get the instructions. If you're not sure, let me know. Um, secondly, also as you're thinking about a question to play stump the teacher with, um, I am, uh, I have been, uh, opening up my office, um, for, for pastoral counseling again. And uh, I used to do that a little more about a year ago, uh, that I have been, but, um, I'm back in that season again and, uh, enjoy meeting with, with women and young people as well, um, for, pastoral counseling and it will be you know our time together so if that's something that you or a friend is is in need of and maybe this is a challenging time and they can't get to a, a therapist or finances um people generally pay me in you know avocados bacon or coffee <laughs> <laughs> or nothing just a hug is fine too um, but my point in, in reminding you that is I am available for pastoral counseling. I do enjoy that time together, and it's part of my role and part of my my gifting and something I enjoy doing quite a bit. And so if that's something that would bless you, please don't ever feel um, like you can't reach out, email, call, text, or have, what have you. And then also in two weeks, we will be here again, not for Bible study, but for a little Christmas party. Yay! So I shared some information about that on our website or on our um, uh, Instagram and all that. Is it gift exchange? No, there is. Is it what? Is there a gift exchange? I can't remember. Gift exchange? No. Is there what? A gift Gift exchange. exchange. Oh, 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 is there a gift exchange? My gosh, my ears. Um, Yes, we're doing a little gift exchange. Okay. (laughs) I know you're looking at me like I'm speaking Greek. I'm like, is that weird? It was. I was like. Yeah, NRK and Alagas, Kyalagas, I have no idea. <laughs> that I would have understood, actually. So, it's, the information was posted online, it was shared at church on Sunday, and I'll be sharing it again um, in emails and, and whatnot. But it was on Instagram, it was on Facebook, and it was shared at church on Sunday in the video. Did Joe announce it also, or it was just a slide? Just a slide. Just a slide, okay, yeah. So it'll get shared again, but it's again, it's in two weeks, the same time as this, so instead of coming for Bible study, you'll come for a gift exchange, Christmas carols, Christmassy food... And then that's the start of the break. And that's the beginning of the break. So your Bible study will carry you for the next two weeks. 
And when you come back, you'll, you can, you can meet her out your Bible study until January if you want to. But for me, I, I like something every day. So I'm going to be providing something after this next two weeks that'll give you, um, take you through the Christmas season and through into January. Be a little bit different version of this. And maybe it'll be a good time for you to invite a friend to jump in and, and join us for that. And now, questions. Excuse me? Christmas, Christmas sweater. Sweaters. You can wear a Christmas sweater. Absolutely. Maybe <laughs> the only time we see each other. I know, right? Wear those Christmas sweaters and have fun with that. All right. Do we have any any questions? <laughs> Monica, let me see if I can turn this mic over to there. We'll see. All right. It's I not a question, just an observation. Um, as I'm reading through and Adam's sin and Adam's sin and Adam's transgression, the one man, the one man. Being raised in a Latin culture, it's always the woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eve. Oh, um, women are evil. Women are, you know, capable of so many evil, evil things. Um, can you explain why that might be like that in certain cultures? Why it's always that? I was, I grew up thinking that. Oh, I'm a girl. Well, and, and it's interesting too because Eve is the one that she took the fruit first. Right. Yeah. Right. But I don't see that reading. Right, I know it's true. Right. Like, I know it's Adam, Adam, but Eve is actually the one who yeah. took the fruit first. Right. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I see that in um, Latin culture and Middle Eastern cultures as well. Um, it, that's what, what has given rise to a lot of patriarchy and in a negative sense of that. The Bible has a positive affirming male leadership models, but as always, the world corrupts all that. But that actually in part comes from a corrupted understanding of first um, Timothy two twelve, um, where it says for out of our two thirteen, it says for Adam uh, was formed first, then Eve and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. So that's a lot to unpack. I'm not even going to get into all that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll I, I can unpack that at another time, but, um, the problem with the way that, that verse has been exegeted is it says here that Adam was formed first, which is true, obviously. Then Eve, um, and who was who did God give d- dominion and 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 the mandate to initially? Adam, Adam. So Adam knew. Adam had God's straight words. Adam knew what he was supposed to be doing. And listen, it says Adam was not deceived. Why? Because he'd already made up his mind. Okay. He already knew God's word. He wasn't deceived by. The serpent, Eve was. Adam already blew it. He wasn't deceived. He already made his mind up. He already changed his mind. He already did the wrong. Do it. Yeah. That he was going to do it. Absolutely. Why? How did he know that Eve was going to take the apple? I I believe that they were there together, and and she was deceived by the serpent. But Adam had already made up his mind. Adam already knew. So yes, it's true. Eve was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. Why? Because he already made up his mind. He didn't need to be tricked. He didn't need to be deceived. He already had that thought in his mind. He already had that bent of what he was going to do. There was, yeah, there was no um, pushback from Adam. Like, wait a minute. It was like, all right. Because he already made up his mind. So, but that has been, the blame on Eve has been, well, Adam was not deceived. Well, then that means he's guilt-free. It does not mean he was guilt-free. It does not mean he's guilt-free. He was not deceived because he didn't need to be deceived. He already had made up his mind. And like you said, no pushback, no trying to talk exactly. you out of it. I just thought that right now. Yeah. I was, I was taught that. Well, oh, he was deceived. He was, why? He was the good she, one. Because Adam, yeah. <laughs> Adam wasn't deceived because he had already made up his mind. He was already there. Got it. That's my take on that. Thank you. 
You're welcome. But anytime, I bet I think it's a good time. Because anytime that we mistreat scripture, it always addresses a sin issue in our heart. Think about it. It always pushes an agenda that we had to get our own way somehow. And so when if you think about the patriarchy issue of keeping women silent, and it's always with that sense of keeping women silent, um, because it says that a woman, you know, should not, you know, speak in the church. But okay, <laughs> we'll go into that a little more another time. But it does say a woman. It doesn't say all women. Just if you want to read the Greek, it says a woman. Not every single woman that's ever been born or ever will be alive. <laughs> There's just a whole lot of logical fallacies in trying to push that agenda that women can't teach in church. It's just a lot. There's too much to overcome, and yet it's been really buried. So anytime we've got a, uh, anytime we have bad exegesis, it's not always, but a lot of times it's because of a sin issue in our heart, of a, an agenda we want, or a failing that we have, like, well, I think it should be probably this way. So it's, an, uh, it's a failing in the sense that it's an unwillingness for us to really move in on understanding God's word, and we're being, and like I mentioned before, and again, I mean this in the kindest way possible, but we're being lazy. Mm-hmm. We're being lazy. We're not. We just. Well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what my pastor taught me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I heard in Bible study with with Jennifer, whomever. And we're not owning it. There's no, that is. You can't back that that mindset or that behavior up with Scripture anywhere. You have to own your own. Work out your th- salvation if you're in trembling. It would be a great reminder of that. But there's others. So great question. Yeah. There's so much in these last few chapters. So we would be here forever. Any other any other questions about this passage? No? Good? Alright. Online people? Oh, Ruth, you, yes? You might have talked about it when I walked out for a minute, I'm not sure, but that Adam to the Moses, like mm-hmm. that part I don't understand. Like what happened to them before the law? And then this is just something that's like different that just kind of made me curious. So but I don't know if it says it. Did Adam like walk away from God like or did he like did he like after the fall after the fall did he walk away from God or was he still with God and then also what happened to the people from Adam to Moses yeah all right so the verse that you're referencing about um Adam to Moses I'm at the opening let me get back to that so I can do that justice here it's it's a tricky one and you're like wait what how did that even how does that even work that doesn't seem fair um Sin into the world, Moses through sin, no, 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 Adam, okay, verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam. This is a proof. This text is like a proof. What does it open with? Death reigned. And so that should make you go, oh, yet death reigned. In other words, people did sin. Why? How do we know that? Because death reigned. People weren't living forever. That means it says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam did. This is a proof that the consequences of sin is death. Because if it hadn't been Adam infecting everybody with his sin, then everyone would be living forever. So it's a proof. Death, oh, he says, oh, yet death reigned. Because Back it up to verse 13. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. That's what he's saying. Sin was in the world. So there's no one who can say, well, it was just Adam, then it just jumped over everybody until that didn't Jesus died on the cross nope before the law was given before Moses sin was in the world there was no accounting for sin it wasn't reckoned to anybody wasn't put on anyone's account because there was no laws I was behind the counter I didn't really know oh shouldn't be but as soon as the law came oh I know better I shouldn't be behind the counter 
But if I go behind the counter, I'm like, well, now I'm doing it on purpose to be a stinker, you know? So the next verse, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, um, is a proof that sin was there. That's what that's saying. So sin was there even without the law. Even without the law. Sin was there. And how do we know sin was there? Death reign. People did die. Now they lived a long time, but they did die with rare exceptions. Right. With rare exceptions. Enoch walked with God and was no more. And who's the other guy? Oh, I'm thinking of Methuselah. He didn't, he died, but he just lived a super duper long time. Okay. So death reign from Adam to Moses isn't, uh, even over those who did not sin, it isn't like all of a sudden Moses law came in and it, everything was like, whoa, all of a sudden people aren't dying anymore. No, they were dying all along. That's what the point of the verse is. You have to go back to the one before it. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. How do we know that? Because death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. That's how we know that. Otherwise, people would just be living and living and living and living because there would be no consequence. See, that, we didn't go into this word. Maybe you write it down for the next lesson. It's called imputed the sin of Adam was imputed onto me. I get it. It was put onto me also. And the consequence of that, my body's in decay. This world is in decay. My mind does not work like it should. I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. The Bible says later on, we'll get that in Romans. Um, so yeah, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way. They couldn't have sinned in the same way. Adam had a unique, special relationship with God. No one else could have sinned in that way. But because he did sin, we all sin in all the other ways. And then the law comes and, and we go and we get the Ten Commandments. Oh my gosh, Ten Commandments. As the other part of this next lesson coming up, we are going to move in on the Ten Commandments. You're going to have a lot of fun with this. There's a little video assignment for you in this lesson. So open up that lesson and start looking at it. Um, because there's going to be, a, there's a lot of multimedia coming into this next lesson. Yay. All right. Good questions. I, I feel like I didn't get part two. Did I get part two in there? What happened to Adam? Like, did Adam... Oh, did he stop walking with God? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of holes in the Bible in terms of what happened because the Bible is not a history book. The Bible's not a history book. So wouldn't we love to know what actually did happen? Like, what the heck happened with Cain and Abel? Why did he turn out to be such a jerk? You know, Cain kills his brother. What? How did that happen? Bad parenting? Like, did he not, like, go to all the seminars? Why did that happen? And did Adam fall away from God? Gosh, I would love to know, but we just don't know because the Bible isn't a history book. It's the same way, way we don't know Jesus' childhood. Yeah. People have filled in the blanks, and there's all these, you know, pseudographical, they're called pseudographical accounts of Jesus' life as a child. We don't get that about Adam. There's wacky stuff that's been written, imagining what could have happened, but it's just, you know, an interesting read. So we don't know. We don't know. You know, just one question. Yeah. Just because you mentioned it, why did they live so long back in the Bible? Yeah, why did they live so long? Okay, so there's another good one. Um, there's a lot of reasons that have been put forward with why people lived so long. And one of them is because the nature of the physical world at the time allowed for it um, in terms of uh, what the world looked like. And uh, literally the nature of the physical world, like um, lack of... Uh, cancer-causing agents, lack of pollution, lack of the abundance of sin that polluted the world that would cause decay wasn't there in that kind of lack abundance. Lack of artificial foods. Artificial foods. You know, I was um, shopping for yogurt the other day. Ready for this? Shopping for yogurt. Healthy, good thing, Greek yogurt or whatever. Get a good, you know, avoid the sugar one. Crap Yo Play makes a Starburst-flavored yogurt. Oh, Jesus, just ruined it. There we go. <laughs> Where sin abounds, grace much more should abound. Okay, so I'm like, Starburst flavored yogurt, that kind of, what? Anyway, 
Um, so there's that, that aspect of it, number one. Number two, uh, I believe it was a divine intervention with God um, saying, we, I need to not let people live this long. This is too much. And, and, and what's <laughs> happening with the world and how it's decaying, God moves in. God's like, um, no, this yeah. isn't going well. This isn't, yeah, exactly. So, um, Right. I know. I mean, I kind of every now and then I'm like, hey, I'd like to do more things in my life. I'm just going to plug my computer. It's starting to die. But um, yeah. So to answer that question, um, there's a physical aspect that happened to the world at some point where a, a canopy is it has been described of water um, and it happened at the flood because we don't see the length of life after the flood. It goes up to the flood. So when the flood happened, I believe. Well, there's a lot of beliefs. I'm not going to share what I believe at this point. But anyway, there was a canopy that, that I believe that God allowed to flood. Mm-hmm. And um, after that point... It changed, like, the weather. It changed weather. It changed mm-hmm. um, the, the physical nature of, of the earth at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good questions, as always. Any other question? All right. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Enjoy your study. Oh yes. Yeah. So we'll see you in two weeks, oh, okay. and we—I I won't be giving—I won't be giving a message on that study until January. Yeah. But in two weeks we'll have our Christmas party, and then in January I'll give a message on the study that you'll be doing. You're gonna love it. Lots of good stuff in that one. Bye, online people. <laughs> if there's anyone there left to say goodbye, no. to. everyone's yeah. gone. Catherine <laughs> says she would love to stay, but she can't. She's got me. Yeah. So left. Good. All right. Bye, ladies. Thanks again.